Reconciliation. What does this mean to you? This is the Journey with Care podcast, where we navigate honest conversations about faith, culture, and loving our neighbors. I am the host, Melvina Gabosh, and I am an Indigenous lover of Jesus. Welcome back to another episode of Journey with Care. Today, I am privileged and honored to have my mentor and a friend of mine, a sister in the Lord, Karen Jolly with me. Hi, Karen. Hi, Melvina. It's good to be here. Thanks for joining me today. I've been looking forward to spending some time with you again. Yes. So I've invited Karen on the podcast. You guys all know I've mentioned her name many times, Karen Jolly. (laughs) And so I invited her on just to come and have a conversation with me and talk about, you know, what it is to be an Indigenous woman leader in the Christian community and everything that she has learned, her time in ministry, and what she hopes to to leave with the next generation. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun having these conversations with you, Melvina, because it's just a, it's fun, but it's also a challenge to, to be able to, to speak of things that Not a lot of people talk about, so it's good to be here. Well, thank you for coming. Um, One of the questions that we do ask is, what does reconciliation mean to you? I think probably the biggest thing, fixing something that has been broken, and it carries into many different places, right? Like, But probably the strongest thing is relationships. When relationships are broken, uh, there needs to be a, a time where you bring uh, people together, uh, you talk about what's happened, and then you try to fix and mend that um, relationship. And, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you become best friends. Yeah. But it, it just means that uh, there is nothing between you and the other person, but that you're, you can be on friendly terms, not necessarily best friends, but at least you've talked about the thing that has come between you. And I guess even as um, when you think of uh, the country we live in, and I don't know how we're going to fix what's been broken in our country, that one is a bigger question. Yes, that is a really, really big question, how we are going to fix what was broken generations ago. Mm -hmm. But I know that the generations that are here and the ones that are coming, um, they really want to work towards, walk towards, move towards reconciliation. But sometimes we don't know how. We don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know, you know, how those relationships are going to entangle with one another. I think we're all on on a journey in this thing called reconciliation. Yeah, that's for sure. It's it's so hard to, to try and think that something's going to be fixed that's gone on for hundreds of years. It's going to take, like, this journey to to be able to do that. It's not going to happen overnight. It would be great if it could just happen instantly, uh, that healing would happen instantly between uh, the settlers and even indigenous communities. But it's not going to happen because there's been so much hurt, so much pain. And for people to, to try and just say, oh, it didn't happen, or I forgive you, and it's finished. Mm-hmm. It's actually not because there's a journey that takes place because there's so much process that you need to process so much in your life to be able to to say I'm I'm healed and and I know that healing comes in different places different parts it doesn't all come together instantly but the journey is always you think oh I thought I was over this but then again you think oh it hit me again and now I have to walk through this one again so I think it's going to take a while yeah you know when you think about reconciliation you think about relationships and you think about things that happen in relationships. I, it takes me back to conflict or hurt or things that happen in, in relationships. Something happens, a conflict happens, you're hurt, you walk away. Maybe you don't talk to that person or those people for a while. And then you, you take the time to heal. You think you're healed. And then you go back into that relationship or you go back into that situation. And then you realize you're not healed because something triggers. Mm-hmm. Or you have a guard up or you don't trust fully. Mm-hmm. And then those are the signs of, okay, I'm not fully healed. Yes. So what are, the, what are the things that are causing a trigger? What are the things that are causing mistrust? How can we build trust once, once trust was broken? I think there's always a 
part where you protect yourself. I feel like sometimes we keep putting ourselves in the same place over and over again, knowing that there's, the result is going to be hurt again. Yeah. And I think that's where I feel like discernment needs to come in. I think some relationships, you'll never be at the same place that you once were. Yeah. And I think that's where your, your discernment comes in, where I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to enjoy being with you when I am with you. But it's not like I'm going to call you every week and get together with you every week kind of a thing. But there's also a part where I guess we need to search ourselves to find, okay, what what is this? That every time I come here, every time I see you, something pops up. And I think we need to search our own hearts to see what that is. Mm -hmm. It might not be a big deal. and It might be just something that you have to get over yourself. And it might not be anything they're doing or saying, but it's just something about you that you're still not completely over. And just to be able to recognize that and and see that. There's power in that, being able to identify yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's one of your triggers or if it's, you know, someone else's behavior or uh, lack of. Through the journey of healing, through the process of my own healing, And, you know, like even being mentored under you at ICYA when we were both there, um, a lot of things triggered me when I first got there. And I had to step back from the situation. And you also challenged me to really um, step back and, is this a Melvina thing? (laughs) Is this a Melvina (laughs) thing that's going on right now? And, you know, when you do that and you self-examine your own heart, Mm -hmm. you self-examine your own triggers, your own trauma, and you ask the Lord, you know, like I had to go into my prayer closet many times and ask ask God, why did this trigger me? Why mm-hmm. did this make me feel rejected? Why did this make me feel unworthy or worthless? Mm-hmm. Why did these things make me feel this way? I know that these people are not trying to make me feel this way. So why is it making me feel this way? And when you ask God these things, He's going to reveal mm-hmm. the answers to you. And so, you know, as He revealed the answers to me, There's power in that. Mm -hmm. There's power in that. And there's freedom in that. Because, you know, that stronghold or or that trigger or that trauma that had you bound, there's a release to that. Yeah. And so there's power in that and there's Mm -hmm. freedom in that. As you were talking, a thought came to me, you know, um, as Indigenous people, we have learned to believe so many lies about ourselves because of our history, because of our experience. We learn to believe that I'm not good enough. I'm not worth anything, and I'll never amount to anything. We, we learn to believe a lot of those things. So when something happens in, in a situation, it's always like, oh, I knew this was going to happen to me because yeah. I'm not good enough, because I'm not worth anything. And I think as we heal in those places and asking God to show us those places, God begins to reveal those places where we believe so many lies about ourselves. And, and God says to you, you're worthy. I love you. And you're very capable. And I'm proud of who you are because I'm the one who made you. And he says those things to us over and over again when we fall into to believing lies again of who we are. And just learning to believe and understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's a long journey to get to that place. But if we could always go back to that place and believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, all the lies that we have picked up and continue to believe in our lives will begin to to be stripped away because God didn't make a mistake when he made us the way we are. And it wasn't him that that brought all this pain. It was people that hurt us, people that uh, made us believe these things. And God says to you, and to me, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So that's been something that I've been learning and growing in myself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey, um, where you've come from, and you know how your relationship began with the Lord? I come from northern Alberta. I have six sisters and five brothers, my parents. I grew up going to Anglican church. Uh, my mom was very faithful to the Anglican church. And so we went to Anglican Church, and then um, when the missionaries first came to um, our community, 
we started going to Sunday school. So I heard about Jesus at a very young age. And I gave my life to Jesus when I was very young, not really fully understanding what I did and mm-hmm. what this meant. But we continued to go to church. And one of the missionaries I was in our community, he always said, um, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher. But he always gave his time. He would take us to places to hear the word, to get teaching. And he would take us on these ministry trips too, like probably when I was 11, 12. And I often wonder, I wonder what I went and said over there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not really. um, But he, he was so faithful to do that for us, to encourage us. And when I was finishing high school, There was a point in my life where I said, I can't ride the fence anymore. My friends, I want to be with my friends and I want to hang out with them and be like them. But I knew a part of me knew I couldn't. Mm, That you were separate. Yeah. (laughs) And um, just before I graduated from high school, uh, I made a commitment to the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. And it was a tough decision. And at tough road after that because you kind of felt alone sometimes, you know, like, because most of your friends are doing seemingly fun things and you're kind of like not part of that group. (laughs) And I remember at one point we were at a dance and um, one of the ladies I grew up with, she's probably like six or seven years older than me, but we always, she always hung out with me. She she didn't mind that I was a little, quite a bit younger than her. And she was sitting across the table from me, and you know how at this dance there's this crazy people drunk and fighting and all kinds of stuff. And she said to me, um, I admire your life, she said to me. I admire the way you live your life. And right away it just felt like this conviction, right? And I'm thinking, what am I doing here sitting in a place like this? And to hear her say that to me uh, really impacted me. And I was thinking, I have to make a choice now which road I'm going to choose. I started uh, really thinking about the choices that I was making. And I have to say, you know, like in all these years, God has been so good. You know, at the times I mess up, he's faithful. How many times they come back and turn to him and he's faithful. He says, I forgive you. So I started serving the Lord. After high school, I went to, eventually went to Bible school. I was there for two years. And then I went on a ministry trip for about a year. Uh, We did music and drama, and we traveled across Canada, and we were in the Philippines for six months. Wow. Just learning to be who you were. And yet there was so much pain that I carried that nobody knew about. Nobody saw that because I learned to hide it. Mm -hmm. I learned to to cover it up with being uh, silly and, you know, trying to do everything the right way. It took a, a really long time for me to, to begin to recognize uh, some of the pain that I carried. And it, some of the impacts of that came from high school, even just the racism that I experienced in high school. And even the, the things that you hear at home, like your house is not good enough for white people to come into your house, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and things that were never said, but you always kind of understood as some of those things to mean, you know, like we, we're lower class, we can't compare ourselves to white people, or, you know, like some of those things, learning to believe those things, and, and feeling like I was always trying to, to be better so I'd be accepted. Yeah. I finally started to, you know, like that got so tiring because I'd be so exhausted trying to do the right thing, be the right person, do the right, you know, say the right things, and you weren't being yourself. Yes. It, it was really hard because um, I wanted to be the person that God wanted me to be. But the pain that I carried didn't allow me to do that until I started asking God to come to those places, to those hurtful places in my heart in my, that I carried for so long. And he began to heal heal those wounds in my in my life. It was through a lot of people, a lot of soul searching, a lot of people speaking into my life. Um, Howard and I have been married for almost 33 years now. It'll be 33 years this December. We have learned and grown so much together. 
being able to speak of, of those painful places in our both of our lives, you know, speaking about those things. And part of that is has caused us to draw closer together because we allow each other into those places. Yeah. And he has been probably one one of my biggest uh, fans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I met Howard when I was 14. So I've known Howard for most of my life already now. And he loved me from the moment that he saw me. It, it's crazy to think how how somebody could love me when I didn't love me, when I didn't love myself. Yeah. And he loved me the way I was. Mm. So it's been, it's been such a, a growing and learning. And, and I guess even when you think of reconciliation, reconciling who I am, who God made me, and fixing and mending those places that are broken in me. And God is, is doing that healing and fixing those. And he's reconciling me to himself as I allow him to, to touch me in those places that I have not allowed other people to come. Mm-hmm. And he's continuing to bring me closer and closer to him, but also fixing the brokenness that's in me, something that was broken, something that he didn't intend for me to experience, but they happened. And so he's, he's fixing those things in my life, and, and I'm thankful for that. And there's a lot of people that have been part of my life that have helped me and walked with me and just accepted me for who I am. And I give all the glory to God for what he's done for me. And being able to be the mom that I can be for my kids. I have two grown children, and, and it's, it's been my joy to be a mom to, to Joel and Toby, to grow with them. I had to totally be a different mom than my mom was. Yeah. Sometimes when when uh, they asked me why I said no, I you know the first thought that would come to my mind is, well, I'm your mom, and that's it. I knew I couldn't do that because I wanted to give them a reason why I said no. And sometimes it was hard to find the reason, but I would try to find something. And God has really helped me to be the kind of mom that my kids needed, and. I guess as, as you follow Jesus, you, you feel like you're always breaking new ground. No matter what you're doing as a mom, as going to work as an Indigenous person, because we didn't have a lot of people that we could follow a lot of times. And learning to be the, the kind of mom my children needed was a real growing and stretching time for me. Sometimes I felt like I was the kid and they were the adults. You know, like I didn't believe in myself, and yet I just continued to, you know, like many times it was like, God help me. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Yes. <laughs> and so, and he was, he was always there. My heart is for our people. My heart is for our Indigenous people. I really want to see our people rise up, hold their head up, and walk with dignity. And I know that it is only going to come when people start to turn to the Lord, turn to Jesus, because Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one that's going to mend their broken hearts. And that's kind of something that I really, really long to see. It's really hard when you hear so many deaths, so many suicides, so much violence. And I long to hear good things coming out from those places rather than hearing another suicide has happened. So I, I really desire to see our people really come into who they are because our people are beautiful. Yes. I long for that too, to see our people healed. God is a God of love. And so he speaks, he speaks love. He speaks our identity into us. And he's good like that. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's good. Like that's all that I can say is he's good. Yes. And so that's my desire is I want our people, Indigenous people, to know the goodness mm-hmm. of God, to know that everything that happened in residential schools was not God. That wasn't him. And I know that it came in the form of the church, mm-hmm. but that wasn't him because I know Jesus to be a loving father. Mm-hmm. I know him to be kind and gentle and patient and not want any bad thing to happen to me. And so, you know, as Christians, as Indigenous leaders and and people that know 
what God can do in our lives. What are some of the things that you think could help our people come into relationship with Christ? Um, this one question that was posed to me at one point was, um, how can you serve a God who did this to your people? And uh, I, it kind of stunned me a little bit because I, I wasn't sure uh, what to say. But I came to a place where I said, uh, I understood that I know what God has done for me in my own life. I can speak of that. I can speak of what God has done for me, the good things God has done for me in my own life. I can speak of that. And uh, it, was, it was God that was trying to give me those good gifts. Yes. It was not God that did all of those horrendous things that our people have gone through. I think beginning to um, understand who God is, God speak to, speaks to us in, in all things, even in creation. He speaks. He speaks to us of, of His goodness. We see so, many, so much beauty around us. And you look at the stars and you think, He calls each one by name. Yeah. And uh, when you look up and you see like thousands and thousands of stars and yet God calls each one by name. And he says to us that he loves us and knows us even more than every one of those stars. Mm -hmm. We are more precious to him than anything he's created. I think our people need to know that God loves them, first of all. That they need to understand that this God that people have used to a small g, mm -hmm. you know, that to, 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 to do all these horrible things to them. It's not the God that we serve, the God that I know, the God that loves, because he's the one that longs to give them good gifts. Yes. Yeah, I've been uh, uh, listening to the book of John. I think about how Jesus responds to people. Earlier this week, Hart and I were talking, and, and he asked me, what have you learned in the book of John? And, and I said to him, uh, sometimes Jesus is really harsh, <laughs> uh, but he's speaking truth. But he doesn't do it in a way where it hurts. It hurts. He's speaking truth. Jesus always speaks for the, the little guy, the oppressed. think of, of the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus didn't condemn her. He just loved her. I think of the woman at the well. Jesus found something in common with her, and he asked her for a drink. The, the Jews and the Samaritans often didn't talk, and Jesus was crossing so many boundaries, breaking those rules that man had. And him being a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman was something that was frowned upon. And yet Jesus treated her with such dignity, and he spoke truth, but she, she didn't feel condemned by him. And she was the first, to me, the first missionary in the gospel because she ran. After yeah. Jesus talked to her, she ran back to her village and said, come and see this man who told me all I've done. And, and, you know, like she brought people back to Jesus too, because Jesus just loved her where she was at. And I think our people need to understand that Jesus loves us where we're at. It's not about me changing before I come, me doing anything, but just coming to him and Jesus loves me. Coming as you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, Sometimes people think, well, I got to quit drinking, I got to quit smoking, I got to quit doing blah, 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 whatever they might be. But Jesus just says to us, come. Even as, as I live my life, I want people to know that I belong to Jesus. Not because I'm saying it, but because I'm living it. If people can't see Jesus in me, how are they going to believe the words that I speak? I guess I, I, I'm proud of, of our people. They are very loving. They're very um, giving. You know, when you go into a community or when you meet people, you know, like 
they're a little bit shy and a little bit quiet sometimes, but once you kind of get in, get past that, that initial, they're such um, amazing people once you get to know them and, and the laughter that you, you find in those places, even the hard and sad places, you find laughter. And that's probably one of the biggest things that has helped us in our lives is, is the humor that's there. And it's God that created us this way. Each one of us, the way he's created each one of us. And if we begin to understand that this is who God made me, it really brings life to who you are. It took a long time for me to accept my, my heritage. I'm Métis. I have Scottish blood in me. I was ashamed of who I was. And that's a sin. That's a sin because I'm saying to God, you made a mistake when you did this to me. And uh, it took a long time for me to come to a place where I, I, I accepted who I was and even came to love who I am. And our people are stuck there because they can't accept who they are. Probably the, the greatest things that our people need to understand is um, the belonging piece. We are so lost in many, many of our people are so lost because they don't know where they belong. They don't know what their value is. And it's Jesus that can give all of that to you. Because when we become his child, we're his forever. And he values who we are. And there's nothing I can do that will stop him from loving me. I'll hurt him by choosing a different way, or, but he'll always take me back when I come to him. I'm not saying that I just want to go and do the wrong thing. I want to honor him by the way I live, yeah. by the choices that I make. I want to honor him, but I'm still human and I still make mistakes. But I want to honor him as much as I can in my life as I walk with him daily. But it's just that, that you know, like knowing and understanding that God loves you and he wants to give you a good life. He has great plans for each one of us and, and I wish my, my people would understand understand that that's what i like i've come to know through relationship with jesus is that he wants good things he's giving and he he doesn't want to hold anything back you know he wants to give those things to us and during my time with you at icya um there was things that you have taught me and one of the things that you taught me was how to value or appreciate or that it was okay to find beauty in our culture, mm -hmm. our Indigenous culture. I remember one story. We were preparing for a conference or something. We were having some kind of training, and I was going to help you decorate the room. And you brought all your decorations, and they were little teepees and little, you know, Indigenous stuff, like little little teepees and 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 things. And and I I saw you open this box of things, and right away, like in my mind, I was like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> I was like, I'm not touching that. And so I'm I'm watching you. I'm kind of like not, you know, participating with that. And I'm in, in my own mind, in my own flesh, you know, uh, my own thoughts. And I'm watching you put these this these beautiful things on the tables and decorate and, and you you have such joy and pride in them. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit say to me that if she can, why can't you? You know? She's, she's a woman of God. She follows me. She leads by example. Well, then why can't you touch those? And I'm like, I don't know. Why can't I? You know, like in my mind, right? And so I just decided, I was like, okay, okay I'm going to do it. I was like, well, if Karen does it, I guess I can. <laughs> so I started, you know, putting these things on the table. But it was then that thing was broken in me. Mm -hmm. It was broken in me because I feel like you challenged me. In a way, maybe you didn't even know that you were challenging me, but you you challenged me in a way to just to think different. Mm -hmm. And then since that moment, I've been able to just be able to just experience the beauty of our culture. So why don't you share a little bit about that with us? I think um, I wrestled with a lot of Indigenous stuff too. And it comes down to what people have said, that those things are wrong, those things are evil. Uh, there's spirits attached to them. There's all these things, you know, that people have said. I struggled with a lot of those things. And 
And one of the things that um, I think about now is, well, I serve a powerful God. This little picture or this little painting or this little thing, God is more powerful than whatever might be there. Yeah. I think those words that have been spoken, even to say everything about who you are, what you make, all those things that you do are evil, that's what the enemy came to destroy. And Jesus says, I have come to give life. And he says, your culture is beautiful. Yeah. The things that your, your people make are beautiful. It's like I can use this to bless others, even when other people have used it to curse. I can use it for a blessing. You know, like for me, it's, I'm so excited when I see people create something, make something beautiful with their indigenous art. I grew up, my mom made moose hides. My aunt, I learned to do um, beadwork and make moccasins from my mom and my aunt. And some people think those are evil, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and in my mind, I'm thinking, how could this be? I watched my mom do all the hard work right to the finished product. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if I'm saying that's evil, then my mom is evil because <laughs> she was the one who made them, right? And, and I think, why don't we celebrate who we are? the talents and the gifts that we have and can create things rather than discouraging somebody from doing something like that. I remember um, I told my mom, uh, I said, when I graduate from seminary, I'm going to wear a buckskin dress because mm -hmm. I've never had a buckskin dress. I've never worn a buckskin dress. I said, when I graduate from seminary, I'm going to wear a buckskin dress. So um, I bought the, the hide. And I had it sitting on the table for I don't know how long because I was afraid to cut it because I was afraid to make a mistake because there's no going back once you cut <laughs> it. So my mom kept saying, I, and I wanted my mom to help me and I wanted my aunt to help me too. And uh, my mom said, so what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm not sure, you know, like just kind of real nervous. And, and finally I cut the, the pattern. I had my aunt do the beadwork in the front. My mom and I did one slipper each, and then I did the belt. And it was just kind of this, not that it made me more indigenous when I put it on, but I was so proud of it, proud that the hands that made it, my mom and my aunt and myself, all three of us created this thing that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's like, how could that be evil? How could somebody say, why are you wearing that? And I'm like, this is who I am. This is who I am as an indigenous woman. These are the kind of dresses my people wore when they didn't have what we wear today. Mm -hmm. So I, it's, it saddens me when people speak of, of those things as evil, that you shouldn't have them in your house, because it's... Somebody put a lot of hard work into that. And uh, people ask me if I'm traditional, and I say I am. I said, I don't necessarily do all the ceremonies. I don't do a lot of those ceremonies that our people practice. But I don't say that's wrong to them. You know, like I grew up in the bush. I know how to cut up a moose. I know how to dry meat. I know how to dry fish. I know how to do all those things. I know how to make tradi a traditional meal. If somebody wants a traditional meal, I know how to do that. And so part of my, when I say I'm traditional, I do a lot of those things. I still speak my language. I still I will pick medicine in the bush when I know what it is, and, and I pick that and I use it. But that's from the teaching that I've gotten from my mom and my grandmother. My dad are some of those things that have, they've taught me how to, to use those medicines that are Therefore, as I know, uh, Scripture says um, the leaves are for the healing of the nations too, you know. So I, I really feel like the things that God has created are for our healing, for our use, and I thank Him for those things. Mm -hmm. And so when people ask me, are you traditional, I say yes. It, it's not those things that make me who I am. It's knowing and understanding who God made me and accepting that and believing that. And then I can fully live my life as an indigenous woman of God when I accept my heritage 
and I accept his forgiveness and his love for me, it makes me complete as an indigenous woman who follows Jesus. Oh, I just love that. <laughs> makes you complete. Um, you know, as you were sharing, it takes me back to a time where I called you crying hysterically. I was crying and and I think you thought someone died or something. Um, but I was crying because I, I was just in this Zoom board meeting and I encountered a, another believer, a non-Indigenous, another believer, basically speak about my people and the art and, and the things that they use and as evil. And she did express it like we need to we need to teach these people that it's evil, that those things are evil, that they're evil, that they're evil, these things are evil. And she kept saying that. And I'm in this board meeting and I'm just, I'm, I'm witnessing it. And it just struck me to my core because I don't think I've ever been in a room or a part of something where someone was saying our people as a whole are evil because of these things. And so I called you and I was crying and I told you what happened. And, you know, it was just, it was just your, your, your willingness to just talk me through that Mm -hmm. and explain to me, you know, just that that's not, that's not God. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not right. You know, for people to say, as a whole, we're evil because of these things. You know, and that really hurt me yeah. as an Indigenous person, as an Indigenous Jesus lover. Yeah. You know, hear another Jesus lover say this about our people. Mm-hmm. Um, have you come across that? There's, um, I guess, in a in lot of um, places we've been to, like, there's so many people. The spectrum is so wide. There's people that are okay with certain things, people that are not. And then you go to the other side, even with our people, that everything is evil. Everything is not good. Like even you can't wear moccasins because they're evil. Mm-hmm. You know, like so, you know, like I know we've learned to tread lightly, but more and more I wonder at what point do we say, what is wrong with that? What is wrong with speaking my language? What is wrong with, with making moccasins? What is wrong with painting an eagle? What is wrong with drawing an owl? What is wrong with some of those things? Or speaking our language. Yes. You know, like, I think we have accepted so much of the Western culture. You know, like, we never ask, you know, when I buy a painting, we never ask, well, who made that? Where did it come from? What's been attached to that? Or... You know, when you go buy clothes, you don't think, I wonder where that came from. Who made that? You know, like you don't, you don't ask those things. You just accept whatever comes from the Western culture. But anything that comes from the indigenous side, we ask those questions. And even as we as indigenous people have come to believe that, some of, that those things are evil. Well, takes me back to what I said, right? Yeah. I was literally like, I'm not touching that. Yeah. Like in my mind, that's evil. Like yeah. that's I'm not allowed to touch that. They have spirits. They carry <laughs> spirits. <laughs> and it's just a little a little wood thing, yeah. you know? And and because we're taught to think that way. Yeah. I think the part that's hurtful is it's denying who we are. In Revelations it talks about um what are you gonna bring before God from your people when you stand before God? What are you gonna bring, Melvina? As an indigenous follower of Jesus, from your culture, what are you going to bring and lay at his feet? I thought about that for a long time, and I think, what is the best thing that I can give Jesus from my culture? And I I still don't know. I hope I find out before I meet him. (laughs) Because there's a reason why he made us this way. Mm -hmm. And when we stand before him, it says every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented there. Maybe I'll wear my white buckskin. Maybe I'll wear my white buckskin when I stand before him. I hope you do. (laughs) So I think about those things, you know, like, you know how when you love somebody, you think, I'm going to give them the best thing that I can. Yeah. And and I think of that, like, from from my culture, what am I going to give to Jesus, the best thing that I can give to represent my people? What is that? And I, I guess to, to add to that, I want to be identified as this indigenous follower of Jesus. Mm. And people are going to recognize me as this indigenous person standing before God, bringing my best to him. Yep. And your best is knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. 
and loving who you are because mm-hmm. knowing that he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. He made us indigenous people. He made you mm-hmm. who you are and there's beauty in it. Yeah, so I just got that image of when you said that the best thing that we can give God is from our culture is us. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about, you know, when uh, when I was listening to your story, when your mom used to wash you with bleach trying to make yeah. make you white or, you know, take away the brown. And I think, you know, like when we stand before Jesus in our brown skin, you know, like he's going to say, this is my daughter. This is my girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you, when you were asking me that, Melvina, what can you give? You know, that's literally what came to my heart was my skin. Mm-hmm. I feel something that really tried to break my identity, mm-hmm. you know, was that and make me feel ashamed of who I am as a dark-skinned Indigenous woman. And I feel like I would be able to stand there beautiful and brown, mm-hmm. <laughs> beautiful yeah. and brown, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. beautiful and brown, owning that, yeah, owning that this is my culture, this is my skin tone. You gave this to me yeah. and I can give it back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Let's go into some ministry things. Okay. So ministry things. What have you done in ministry since you graduated from seminary? Um, so we pastored a church for 15 years here in Winnipeg. I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed um, ministering. A lot of my ministry happened with the women. Um, I really enjoyed doing that. I love planning things and doing things with the women. And sometimes a little bit of craziness and that's kind of me, and I, I like being crazy sometimes. <laughs> but I also enjoy speaking. I've done um, some speaking. Sometimes when Howard would ask me to speak at the church when he was going to be away, and I'd always tell him, when you're desperate, that's when I'll do it. <laughs> but like the Lord has gifted me in that, and I, I do speak, and I enjoy speaking. I also really enjoy teaching, so I taught adult Sunday school probably for about eight years at our church, and and so that was something that I really, really enjoyed doing. Even before, when Howard and I first got married, we traveled across the country into the U.S. for probably nine months out of the year. That was something that we, we would go for six weeks and then come home for a week or two weeks. And even when our kids were... Uh, I think we stopped traveling when our son was three years old, so I had two kids on the road, mm. and we did that full-time. It was pretty amazing to see. It was music, right? So music has a, a greater way of moving into any community. We we would fly on these small planes all over the north, and we would go into, you know, like sometimes it's in community halls or, you know, like sometimes people would get up and start dancing, you know, like, waltzing or two-step or whatever, you know, like, because it, this was the, their way of saying, this is really good, we enjoy it. And a lot of those places were not churches or Christian, necessarily Christian communities where we were. And we did that for, I think, probably six years after we got married. So we traveled all over the the place. And, and then we moved to Ontario and worked with the youth there. We were there for seven years, and Howard also pastored the church there, and I worked with the women there. And I I actually enjoyed teaching kids, too. I know one community we were at, and they asked me to do kids' ministry. I said, okay. And then I went, and there was like 60 kids, and I was by myself. (laughs) But I eventually got people to come in and help me, because I thought maybe they had helpers that were ready, but... The first night I figured they found out that they didn't have anybody <laughs> there. I do enjoy uh, doing kids ministry and working with kids. So uh, we've done quite a bit of stuff. We've, we've worked with an organization called Rising Above Counseling Agency, and we've been with them for 30 years. Uh, they've, they've been addressing um, residential school abuse, sexual abuse, and all kinds of other stuff, whatever comes with that. and. Uh, we've been part of this ministry since it started. I remember the first one we went to, my boy was only three months old. Wow. And uh, they've had conferences across the country from Victoria all the way to Frederick in New Brunswick. And uh, in every major city, they've had a conference. Their, their logo is First Peoples, Helping First Peoples. And we've had a lot of mental health workers coming in from, from the communities 
come and take the training so they can go back and help their their people. But in coming, they have found that they needed a lot of healing in their journey. We were in Vancouver one year and this one lady, 10 minutes in, she said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I got to go, I can't stay here. And uh, I didn't even know her, but she came to me and then I told her, I said, okay, let's go outside for a little bit and we'll, we'll come back in, we'll see how you're doing. And so she said, okay, I think I can go back in. So she went in and she checked in with me probably five times a day or, or so. And, and as she stayed there, the healing that I saw, you could just see like transformation happen in her face as she continued to stay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she'd say, can you pray for me? So we'd go outside and then we'd pray. She said, I'm just hurting the back of my neck and my shoulders are really." So we'd go outside and we'd pray and then we'd come back and just transformation happened. And then that the, the very last night, I remember, she said, Karen, you know, whole phrases of my language is coming back to me, she said, because in residential school, she was punished for speaking her language. So she had somewhere suppressed it. And as healing was happening for her, she said, uh, whole phrases of my language is coming back to me, she'd wow. say. And she was just, and then she goes, I feel like dancing. I said, well, just dance. I totally <laughs> So being part of that ministry has been like just amazing to see God bringing healing through those painful things that they've experienced in residential school and just seeing transformation happen, people coming to know Jesus because of, of the healing they've experienced. And Rising Above speaks from the biblical perspective. People know that when they come, even though they don't know the Lord, they still uh, come and being able to, to, to speak of of what Jesus can do even in, in those situations. And so that's been part of the a ministry that we've been part of for, for a long time, and, and God has really blessed that. So we've done quite a bit of different kinds of ministry. Um, you had shared that in the logo it says, first people helping first people. Mm-hmm. What is the importance of that? I think our people identify with each other at a level that, Maybe uh, a white person can identify with an indigenous person. There's a connection that happens between indigenous people. I remember walking in a, in a grocery store in Steinbach, and this lady came walking. They had rounded the corner, and there was a little indigenous boy that was walking beside this lady. And I came around the corner on the other side, and that little boy looked up at me, and his eyes just lit up. And I didn't know who he was, but he recognized something in me. And I would just wave at him, smile at him. And all the way down the aisle, he was just like waving at me because he was able to, he recognized something in me. And I think when, I, when we say first people helping first people, there's a connection that happens where there's an understanding and a mutual experience maybe. Not necessarily exactly the same, but it's mutual. And it feels safer somehow to be able to be carried by another Indigenous person to a place where it's painful. And I, I trust what you say in that because I've experienced that. So when I came into the missionary kind of framework of ministry, I was able to look to you as an example. And I felt safe. Mm-hmm. And I felt like you understood some of the things and some of the challenges that I was facing in the community, but also, you know, as an Indigenous leader. You know, working with the community uh, for the couple years that I did, um, some of the women that connected with me, I feel like because they saw, they saw themselves in me, you know, and so that's why a connection and a form and a trust was able to be yeah. built because you, you see yourself in them. Mm-hmm. And so I saw myself in you. I'm like, I want to be like Karen Jolly one day. <laughs> I want to be like her. <laughs> and there's there's great value in that. And I feel like there's coming a time where our Indigenous people need to rise and lead our Indigenous people, you know, through through healing and mm-hmm. and, and through, you know, all the challenges of, of our own experiences, right? And be able to share those. And I just, I feel like Indigenous people just, journey in a different way. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's the right way, 
I'm just saying it's a different way. Yeah. And we understand that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're storytellers. We're we're about relationship. We're about trust. We're about honoring. Mm-hmm. Like we're giving. We're giving people, right? Uh, you sh- you shared that right at the beginning of this of this episode that Indigenous people are very giving. Yeah. You know, so we give ourselves. We give our heart. We give our trust. We give ourselves into mm-hmm. the things that we put ourselves in. And I don't know if everyone operates that way. Yeah. Um, so there's just benefits in Indigenous people rising rising up to lead our people. Uh, what are some of the ways that you think that that could happen in, in ministry? I think we have to lead by example. And I said it earlier as a mom that I had to live that out. I had to live out what God is doing in my life before my kids. Because if my kids didn't see it, then how can I go out and speak of things that I didn't know how to live out in my life? And I think it's so important that the things we say, we have to make sure we're living those things that we're saying. Yes. And so leading by example is 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 important to me, you know, like, and, and one of the things that always comes back to me is Jesus says, follow me. Follow me, he says. And how like, but that's a hard road, Jesus. <laughs> that's very straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, like if we want people to follow, we need to be able to lead in a good way. Don't lead them to the edge of the cliff where they're in the dark and they fall off the cliff. You know, like we have to lead in a good way in a helpful way. I remember years ago when my dad, we'd be walking in the bush and my dad would be talking and as he's walking away and he walked fast in the bush. We're like, we can't keep up, you know, like, but the thing that my dad did, he always tied an orange ribbon on the trees. If he turned somewhere, he'd tie an orange ribbon so we could just follow the ribbons and catch up to him wherever he was going. We'd eventually get there. But he always tied, he always let us know what direction we're going. And, and that's, that's kind of the same way in life, you know, like we have to be able to mark those places. Oh, we got to take a sharp left turn here because if we go straight, it's dangerous over there. You know, we have to be able to, to lead and guide people in a way where they know where we're headed. I think that's a, a, a big part of we have to be able to lead with integrity, with honesty. And I think, too, part of me is not leading in a way where I'm the boss, you follow me, you know, like, but being humble, being able to say, oh, and even being willing to hear. Malvina said, that's not a good thing. We should be doing this and this and that. And I have to be willing to listen yeah. to where, you know, the cautions you might have. Being willing to listen to others too and not just thinking that my way is the best way. Being willing to hear even the people that are following you, listening and taking time to to hear them and to think through those things too. I think sometimes we just go headlong into something with a, even though somebody had said something to us about it before and we didn't listen. Yeah. I think we have to be willing to listen to stop and listen to those around us too. I really enjoy hearing elders talk because they have a wealth of experience that they've lived and hearing them speak of those things, always I always enjoy that and I really feel like they have so much to teach us too. And so listening and hear, actually hearing somebody is important as a leader. I mean, always listening to the voice of God, hearing God, for sure. You know, like that's the top of the list. And, you know, like (laughs) as you should be doing what you feel God is leading you to. And when you're not sure, you know, like making sure that you hear the voice of God, because there's lots of voices out there that sound good, but always being sure this is God's voice. And sometimes it's hard to hear God's voice. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly what God is saying to you. I, I feel like, you know, listening and hearing is important too, and humbling yourself. And this this thing called reconciliation, and and ministry and the church, because I I truly feel that 
reconciliation needs to begin with us first, Mm -hmm. needs to begin with the church first, needs to begin with the hurt that was caused, needs to begin with the non-Indigenous believer and and the Indigenous believer. And so what are some of the things that show you that reconciliation is happening amongst the Indigenous and non-Indigenous in ministry? I think probably right now one of the things that there is um, the church is asking, what do we do? How do we do this? Which is a good thing. Yeah. And them wanting to learn about Indigenous culture, Indigenous people, is a good thing because uh, it wasn't there before. And I think... They have to understand, they have to hear the story and feel the story, feel the pain that the people have gone through, the Indigenous people have gone through. They have to feel that. You know, they, they don't understand what it's like when you walk into a store and feel like somebody's following you or you don't want to open your purse because they think you're putting something in there. They don't understand what that feels like, but they need to begin to, to see that. This is not our history, but this is theirs. This is really happening today, and it's still there. They have to feel that and to feel, you know, like you think of person on the street. The story behind that person being on the street is something that they have to be willing to hear because that person didn't choose to be on the street. There's many things from their past that created this place where they're at now. I think. The church is is learning. And there's also so many times where they've said something and don't realize that it's a hurtful thing, even though in their minds it's a good thing. Yeah. And I think being able to recognize uh, some of the things that are being said. Or being done. Being done. And it's like, I guess, at a point where you feel like, well, how come you're always thinking that you need to help me? Mm-hmm. You need help too. <laughs> we all need help. <laughs> and it's always that mindset, right? Like, yeah. oh, they're the needy ones. They're the ones that need this, this, this. We got to do this, this, this for them. And it's never, you know, like, what can I do as an Indigenous person? What can I do for you? It's always the other way around. Yeah. Um, there was um, a quote that, has stuck with me for a couple of weeks now. It says, for far too long, Indigenous peoples have been a mission field for the church. That needs to change. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it does need to change. And how are we going to change that? By listening, yeah. by relationship, by not just words alone, but by actions. We have to decolonize our minds. Maybe we don't even know that we're colonized. We have to decolonize yeah, and we have to walk towards reconciliation with one another together. Mm-hmm. That's only going to happen if we do it in truth and we allow God to lead the way and we do it honoring one another and we do it in partnership. And when, when you say something, to do it, mm-hmm. to follow through, and that's how trust is built. And that's how I feel that the Indigenous people and the non-Indigenous people are going to be able to find reconciliation is in relationship and building trust. Mm-hmm. I think one of the thoughts that came to me was like, we're building this bridge, right? We'll work on this bridge from our side and you'll work on the bridge from that side and I'll meet halfway, mm. you know, so that this bridge can be used both ways. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to take both of us to do this, to build this bridge so that, we have uh, always have this connecting point, you know, where we can go back and forth. Yeah. And it's not you making your bridge to me. It's us building a bridge from both sides and meeting together to finish that bridge so we can go back and forth and, and be uh, a people that are united by Jesus mm. because that's who Jesus calls us to be, right? Like he says to us that, we need to walk in unity with as much as it, it is possible within us that we should live in that kind of peace and that unity. Yes. Well, Karen, I thank you for coming and joining me on Journey with Care podcast, being my guest, being my mentor and my friend. 
So I hope our listeners enjoyed hearing Karen speak as well. Thank you, Melvin. It's been my joy. Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast, where paths connect over real life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Be sure to like, follow, and share. Special thanks to host Melvina Gabosch, ARC podcast engineer Johan Heinrichs, and donors who help make this show possible. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage with child welfare with our Care Portal technology and academy training. To support this podcast or to learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or click the link in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey with us as we journey with care, even in the messy. Until next time.